Welcome to the Talented Learning Show with John Lay, Episode 2. Today I interview Sandy Lynn, CEO and co-founder of SkillJar, about the exploding field of customer education learning technology and the business metrics driving the innovation. You can find more of our content at talentedlearning.com. Well, welcome to the Talented Learning Show podcast series with your host and independent tech analyst, John Lay. On this show, I interview world's leading experts in extended enterprise learning solutions uh, from both the vendor and the practitioner perspectives. Uh, today, we're lucky enough to have customer learning guru, Sandy Lin, who is the CEO and co-founder of SkillJar, an award-winning cloud-based customer onboarding, training, and engagement platform. Welcome, Sandy. Welcome, John. Happy to be here. All right. Great. Well, Sandy, as you know, as little as five years ago, uh, when we founded our respective companies, there was almost no uh, independent industry content or vendor solutions that were dedicated uh, solely to uh, extended enterprise learning. So it didn't take uh, you and I long or uh, very much effort to, to find that we were living the same uh, extended enterprise gamble separately here on, on two sides of the same coin. And I've been following your organization and your progress ever since, and uh, certainly a, a fan. So I'm really glad you can uh, get here on the show today and share your insights and wisdoms uh, for all of our fans who, uh, not coincidentally, are uh, extended enterprise uh, learning fans. So, Sandy, tell us a little bit about yourself and how and why you, you founded SkillJar. Sure. Well, I can't believe when you said it about five years ago. I think that's that's actually right. It was um, it was five years ago that I started this company, almost exactly. So, um, I actually before starting SkillJar was at Amazon.com, and I led the third-party seller onboarding program for the Amazon third-party marketplace. So, oh. the um, the kind of third-party sellers that sell their items through the Amazon.com website. So I was very familiar with the challenge of educating customers and partners globally, although it wasn't until later that I actually uh, connected the dots. So, you know, the primary motivation for me um, and Jason, my co-founder, was, you know, we just wanted to create an enduring tech company. You know, we'd been dreaming of startups all our lives, and my dad was an entrepreneur, and, um, and a little bit, uh, actually open to what industries or problems we would solve, but, you know, in thinking about what would interest us for, you know, at least the next 10 years if we would be successful, you know, Jason and I just always came back to being lifelong learners um, and this general idea of using technology to make knowledge more accessible um, throughout the world. So, so we really like that concept generally. Um, the early days of the company, as, um, as you may remember, we made a lot of early pivots as we were learning about the market and learning about customer needs. And, um, and through that process, at one point, um, about three years ago, companies really started approaching us about using SkillJar for customer learning, customer onboarding, and certification. So we listened to that early feedback and, and kept going and, um, and now have a fantastic product that's been um, built with that close input of our first uh, couple dozen customers. And it's been uh, up and to the right since then. Wow, that's great. That's great. So five years five years in, you know, could you just take a step back for, for some folks? A lot of people know the term uh, extended enterprise and they, they know that means uh, really training or learning or think they know that it means training or learning for your non-employees, you know, so you can't, you, you can't really make them do anything since they're, they're not your employees. Uh, they're, they're outside of your organization, though 
an integral part of it. Uh, and a subsector of that whole field is is exactly what you're describing and how you've pivoted your company to, to customer learning. What what exactly does that mean? And what type of companies you know want uh, educate you know using online platforms and to train their customers? Yeah, it's almost any. Um it's almost applicable anywhere, as you might imagine. So it's absolutely true that extended enterprise is a super broad term. Um, end users, which are you know often customers, it could be partners in many senses of you know a channel partner, a distributor, an installer, a uh, system integrator, a consulting partner, um, and then also you know franchises and other uh, contractors and you know the the possibilities are just endless associations volunteers although we personally see less of that so you know really it's um, and especially in today's modern workforce the definition of employees becoming kind of less and less uh, clear as as you know there's more um, millennials coming to the workforce and kind of flexible work models so. Um, the, the broad concept of being able to educate more than just kind of your high talent um, W-2 employees is, is, a, is a huge opportunity. Um, so we're mostly focused on customer and partner learning and you know, we think of that as really anything that improves the customer understanding of how to use a product or service or why they might want to use that and you know, sometimes it is very sort of hands-on like tactical, how to use something, like technical training on what to do, X or Y, and sometimes it is more, um, you know, what we think of as thought leadership, so best practice concepts about, uh, you know, big data or, you know, uh, real-time advertising or a very kind of um, cutting-edge topic and, and strategies of how to apply those in addition to, to using the product. And um, at least for SkillJar, we see most of our uh, most of our customers in, uh, broadly speaking, kind of high-tech uh, healthcare and manufacturing, but um, we certainly have many customers in insurance and retail and other industries as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you uh, find that in, in customer education, the, these organizations are, are charging for their training uh, for customers, or is it always something that's provided uh, as, as part of a bigger strategic initiative? It completely varies based on the uh, the strategy of the organization. So, I would say that, gosh, you know, we should actually look at this within our customer base. But my guess is it's actually like I'm just going to say 50/50 of uh, free and um, paid because it's it's certainly uh, it's certainly uh, you know very dependent on the organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sure organizations aren't sitting around saying, you know, I think what we need is another training system and, you know, some more effort here to create content and, you know, provide that out to, uh, you know, provide that out to our client. I just can't imagine anybody sitting around just looking for extra work. I, I would imagine that, you know, since you don't have to train uh, your channel or your customers, you know, they're doing it for, you know, some pretty specific business reasons. You know, if you had to name the top I don't know, two or three reasons that you see that are funding projects such as yours. You know, what do you what what are you seeing? So, you know, I'm actually gonna push back a little bit on you, John, because um, <laughs> even though it is voluntary, at least on SkillJar, we see about a fifty percent voluntary completion rate for courses that are multiple hours in length. And, you know, there's there's 
a lot of reasons. I mean, we all read business books. We all read, well, maybe not all, but we read newspaper. We read kind of industry publications in our field. So um, there's actually, I think, quite a high demand and interest and appetite voluntarily for people to learn about really cool topics from the, you know, companies that are experts. So, um, you know, their training, I guess, maybe has a little bit of a bad, <laughs> you think of a, you think of those big, and you know, I was at Amazon, so I've been in those environments where you're at lunch and clicking through your, you know, anti-bribery training, and then you get the emails that are like, oh, you haven't done it yet, you have like five days left and three days left, and like nag your manager, but, you know, the, the, the idea of like extended enterprise or voluntary learning is I think of just a very different mentality of, of how, um, at least we're seeing end users are choosing to, you know, engage and be captivated by by content and uh, and even on weekends and holidays, like when we were very starting out, I was like, who who's taking training on you know Thanksgiving Day? And uh, it's a lot of people actually, especially in in, in non-US. So um, so I think there's actually quite a uh, voluntary uh, uh, there's a, there's a lot of interest in doing this, even though it might be you know like part of part of your work life. Mm -hmm. And now I've forgotten your original question, John. <laughs> yeah, no I, I, no, I agree with that. I think, uh, you know, certainly in today's age of lifelong learning, it's much more common for voluntary learners to, to do exactly that. I meant more from like an organizational perspective. You know, an organization has to you know, decide to do one of these initiatives. And I'm just curious, is it about they're already doing training and they're looking to do it in a separate, you know, a different way to save costs? Or are they using it as you know, I don't know, some sort of measurable tool where they're saying, okay, those that are trained and those that are not trained, we can see this gain in uh, these metrics. Like, you know, are, are you seeing that level of sophistication of measuring the success, I guess, and ultimately funding, the, oh. you know, funding projects yes. uh, such as yours? Yes, absolutely. So the primary drivers are driving product adoption, increasing the revenue retention of accounts and and also creating a differentiated uh, kind of product or success experience because the reality is we are living in a world now where customers have options and with subscription economy models companies do need to win back the business year after year or month after month I saw a recent stat lately that I think about 30 percent of software licenses go unused or underused and you know that's not going to last forever. So driving adoption, um, being able to kind of win back customer um, business year after year, and and really differentiating the market are are the the key things that we see. And and we absolutely know from our customer base that training is the key to successful product adoption. And the idea is that when a customer knows how to get value out of a product or service, of course they'll be much better equipped to realize that value and our clients are giving us amazing kind of stories about finding their customers are you know X percent much more likely to renew if they've taken training and um, and I think there's been other studies that show the top two churn drivers are lack of adoption and loss of executive sponsors so of course anything a company can do that educates their customer base on using the product more effectively is going to lead to you know higher value and higher retention mm -hmm. um, you know secondarily I'd say but but also significant are those improved operational efficiencies, things like, you know, a reduced number of support requests or, you know, time spent training customers one-on-one, -on -one, especially on basic topics. Those are direct cost savings, but usually when customers are thinking about, excuse me, our, our, our clients are thinking about uh, customer learning programs, it's really about 
increasing adoption and ultimately um, increasing the kind of revenue health of those accounts. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like a lot of, uh, you know, what you're mentioning, you know, just the, you know, keeping track of customers, that all makes great sense on, you know, from a, a business standpoint on why organizations choose to do that. But there seems to be like, I don't know, maybe overlap or to some degree parallel systems with like a CRM, uh, perhaps. Well, you know, it, what, what's a CRM and, and how relevant or not relevant is that to, to customer learning initiatives? So CRMs are critical to customer learning initiatives. Uh, it stands for, I believe, customer relationship management. And you have some of the big players are Salesforce, uh, Dynamics, which is a Microsoft product. And a CRM is typically the system a company uses to, um, to keep track of, you know, at, you know, at company X, like who are all of our contacts and what are their job titles and um, what are their phone numbers and what is their industry. And, and from a contract basis, you know, how, what is their business relationship like with us? And so for customer learning programs, the connection between CRM and training data is absolutely critical for companies to truly understand the power and impact of training. You need to centralize the data, kind of link all those records together to make it easy for all of the stakeholders to, to crunch those numbers around training as it compares to okay, customer health and customer success. So, and additionally, with, with the rise of you know, the customer success industry, uh, you companies like Gainside and Tatango and Client Success, you know, a lot of these companies are, are around calculating customer health scores and, and improving retention. So um, training data is absolutely a key part of, of those scores and playbooks because of you know, the key link between training and adoption. Hmm. Wow, outstanding. Outstanding. Is Salesforce the, the most popular or the, the most common CRM that you're running into in the market? Or? It is, especially at the enterprise and mid-market level. I'd say um, you know, other ones we see pretty often are you know, HubSpot, CRM. It's probably the other one that comes up the most often, and a little bit of Dynamics as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, great. And, and what's the strategy uh, you know, for integrating with, with one of those systems? Do you have, like, I don't know, is there such a concept of pre-built integrations or apps, or you know, is this something you approach each time and, you know, and kind of work out with the customer on how you're going to tie these together or, or both? How does, how does all that work? Yeah, so um, we are partners with both Salesforce uh, and HubSpot. So Salesforce is you know, just ballparking probably 90% of the, wow. what our customers use. So I'll just kind of focus on that one. So right. Salesforce at least has a pretty extensive third-party ecosystem where developers like Skilljar build tools and enhancements um, to supplement the, that core Salesforce functionality. So, you know, for us, Salesforce integration is um, making sure that customer training data is properly represented in the CRM so that companies can slice and dice and have a complete picture of how training and certification leads to, um, to revenue, whether that's directly kind of training revenue or overall kind of account revenue. So in our case, you know, we integrate all of that information about students and the learning they do, the purchases they make, and all of the, you know, whether they got certified, all of that information goes into the CRM so that companies can do any kind of analysis to find the deepest insights. And, you know, there's a few, there's other student benefits, you know, students can be invited to training automatically if their information is already in Salesforce, you know, um, Salesforce has a identity provider, uh, single sign-on, so if their customers are using 
you know, their community portal or partner community credentials or service credentials, you know, that's very seamless as well. So um, Salesforce has done a really good job of creating um, an app ecosystem, which I'm happy to talk more about. Uh, other systems um, might be more, you know, sort of custom-built uh, connectors, but at least in Salesforce case, they have they have a great process and approval process around um, the apps that are allowed to be on App Exchange. Mm, interesting. Is it is it mandatory to uh, become an approved app, or is is, is that an advantage for for you know to just pull out of there just for safety's sake? Is is that the idea? Yeah, it's not mandatory. So, uh, well, I guess first let me caveat that I'm not an expert on App Exchange, but I can tell you that we were kind of going through the approval process a couple of years ago. So, um, so as mentioned, yeah, Salesforce does have this App Exchange, and to be listed in the App Exchange, um, a company needs to complete really extensive annual business, technical, and security reviews. Um, and it's not cheap, and it's not easy, and it's not quick. So on the security side, they're making sure that your um, application, or it's, it's called a managed package in Salesforce speak, is secure, upgradable, versionable, and you know safe and useful to be downloaded by all of Salesforce customers, no matter what version and um, uh, it is. So it's pretty extensive. So. It is possible for companies to create what Salesforce calls private apps, and these have not gone through Salesforce's business security or technical reviews. So, you know, what you download is what you get, and um, it's not, you know, guaranteed that future versions will be compatible or that, you know, it's secure. Of course, you can download it into your Salesforce sandbox, but Salesforce itself has not reviewed the app. Um, and these will be kind of listed in App Exchange, so you know, a vendor might send a direct link. And we did this when we were still in beta, for example, um, but it's not kind of discoverable through the App Exchange website. And so um, it took us over six months to get approved by Salesforce, wow. and they review not only the app, but our entire business. And our, you know, for SkillJar, a lot of our a lot of our product isn't the Salesforce app, uh, integration; it's actually our sort of customer-facing learning experience, you know, administrator dashboard, they review all of it, even if it's not, like, directly um, part of that Salesforce integration. So at least at the time, like, you know, two, three years ago, it took, took us over six months. We do it annually. But absolutely from our side, well worth it for our customers and for Salesforce admins to know that both we and Salesforce stand behind our integration. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt probably provides certainly a level of, of comfort when all the things that can go wrong in a technical ecosystem to know that that, that works. Do you uh, – uh, just curious, do you – with customer learning, do you find that it is organizationally organizations that are buying it and deploying your type of technology? Are they do? Where's that? Where's that buying point at? Is that coming from HR that has uh, you know just customer learning as an additional I don't know training group that they audience that they have to manage, or are these are people coming to you independently from customer service or business units? How does that work? So. Almost all of the case, our buyer is a you know director or even VP of training and education services is often the title, and they report into a professional services or client solutions function. So sometimes HR is involved as a stakeholder, um, particularly at mid-market and SMB segments, but almost universally it's coming out of a uh, training and services team within sort of the post-sale implementation realm that's tasked with 
um, you know, proactive enablement of, of customers and delivery of the service. Mm -hmm. Do you feel it's an advantage just to go to a specialist for extended enterprise or customer learning or I mean, I guess that's a yes, considering that you bet your whole One hundred percent. Now talk about a softball question. I didn't even get to the end of it. I thought that's too easy. That's too easy. Well, <laughs> the um, the funny thing is, again, kind of coming in without a ton of knowledge about this industry and really learning from our customers in those early days and, and now. Mm -hmm. um, just a level of the difference in the kind of internal workflows of how students and administrators access training is just huge. I mean, you would never use you know, Exchange Server for your marketing automation, and you would never use you know, Salesforce for your applicant tracking system. So, I mean, a lot of systems in enterprise have common components, but it doesn't mean that they were really optimized for the same thing. And an example, is, I'll give you two examples. So, um, in the beginning, customers were asking a lot about deep linking. So I was kind of like, okay, what's deep linking? What's deep linking? Well, it turns out deep linking is really just having a static hyperlink to a course or, you know, learning object or a lesson, like having literally, you know, a URL in the address bar. And the reason it's a pain point for customer learning organizations is because they want to be able to, say, send a training link to a customer and have them register for training. And that's completely flipped from the employee use case where usually you're syncing with your HR system and then, you know, once a year it sort of creates a dynamic link and sends it to that individual person. And so um, there was actually no way for a lot of our initial customers that were using these HR-focused systems to actually send a link to training to, you know, the world. So. Um, Small point, but I think just one example of how different the workflows are between sort of the traditional HR system and then systems like ours that are completely optimized for customer learning. Um, the second example I'm going to talk about is actually related to Salesforce. So, you know, a lot of a lot of LMS companies and you know claim to integrate with Salesforce, and they do, but not all Salesforce integrations are created for the same use case or created equal. So the vast majority are of Salesforce integrations are actually around sales training and sales enablement. Um, you know, you access a particular opportunity in Salesforce and, you know, training opportunity pops up that says like, hey, you know, you're, hey, we see you're, you know, you know, pitching to a medical device company. Why don't you review our medical device, you know, training courses or something like that? So, um, and that's not the type of functionality that a customer education team, where they're really interested in how training and certifica certification data leads to revenue. So, um, so the devil's in the details. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and for um, you know for companies that are really looking to grow education programs, customer education programs, and you know I would definitely definitely advise looking for um, you know like a company that's really aligned around that use case because as the needs now and the needs later, you know you want to be kind of moving your roadmaps and programs in parallel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is the use case behind certifying a customer? What does that mean? Why would you? Why would you do that? How would you do yeah. that? Yeah. So we see two flavors: um, low stakes, almost like a badging or micro badging approach, and then the high stakes. So the low stakes approach tends to be a like self self assessment, um, you know, automated uh, sort of badging or lightweight certificate type experience, and and that's both an incentive for the student to feel great about what they learn, but for companies, it's also a great marketing technique, especially 
um, if there's a social component. So, uh, like for us, you know, we have this great sort of partnership with LinkedIn where um, students who complete training, it's very easy for them to post those certifications or badges to their LinkedIn profiles. And that's been anecdotally just a huge source of brand awareness and advocacy for um, for companies and for students, it's awesome because, you know, they have this verifiable link that shows that they completed, you know, some, you know, really awesome, awesome training. And um, since we were talking about CRM, you know, we don't work with Salesforce or HubSpot on this, but they both have, you know, very kind of industry-leading certification programs and serve as an example to a lot of our customers that want to create that ecosystem as well. So high-stakes certification, um, we see more in like super high tech or deep tech or otherwise uh, like maybe regulated or there's some element of risk to those industries and high high stakes certification uh, there's usually some kind of uh, proctoring component um, proctoring being you know somebody that's verifying your identity and if it's remote perhaps they're uh, you know <laughs> sounds a little creepy but watching you through the webcam and <laughs> taking snapshots of your browser to make sure you're not you know Googling for the answers and, you know, there, if there's a timed activity. So there's a higher layer of um, identity verification, uh, demonstration of knowledge, and, and usually this is um, something that is, uh, you know, carries a lot of uh, weight in uh, the industry or, you know, being certified on, on this topic, uh, you know, could lead to sort of more um, important or risky outcomes depending on the nature of the industry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow, so great. Those are all great reasons to certify um, customers. And on the partner side, we, of course, we see yeah. uh, uh, implementation partners, um, channel partners, uh, and, you know, certification there is a way to just, you know, demonstrate that this organization or person has been, has passed uh, the sort of knowledge required by um, the original vendor on on the particular, you know, product or service. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, great. Great. You probably have some great data in terms of, like, how you know, all the customers of your customers uh, are, are interacting with your, your system. What, I'm curious about the, the trends in mobility. Um, you know, what do you see all these users, learners using? Are, are, are they coming in off of smartphones now, or is it still laptops? Uh, what, are your, what are your insights on that? So our platform is very mobile friendly, and um, I haven't looked at it lately, but it's still largely laptop driven. driven. And um, I believe the last time I checked, our tablet usage was quite high, or, although our smartphone usage wasn't super high. Um, but you know, kind of the majority, like compared to general web traffic, the, uh, the there is still more kind of laptop desktop driven than than you might expect. And you know, training is still a little bit of a uh, high sort of mental focus activity. You don't really kind of go home on a Friday night with your glass of wine and curl up on the couch and <laughs> and watch and, and do and get your certification like through your phone. So um, I'm not totally surprised by that. But it does it does vary by um, you know customer and who they're training. You know some of our customers train very high knowledge office workers and others train um, mobile workers and the uh, the kind of usage varies accordingly. Wow, wow. And what do you think the, the next steps are for the industry? What, uh, what, what's on the horizon here that uh, you folks are working towards uh, to lead the oh industry? Gosh. So I sometimes think of this as a baseball game, so if, uh, which is nine innings for, for those of your <laughs> listeners that don't um, follow baseball. So, uh, so if you think about cloud and subscription, like we're probably 
like at the bottom of the third inning. There's still, it's still, you know, cloud is here, but in terms of adoption in the world, like it's not, you know, a done, it's, we're not done. And, and then the idea of customer retention being important is still, like I like to say, at the bottom of the first. And so when it comes to proactive customer enablement, customer training, like honestly, we're still at the top of the first. So there's so much opportunity. I know for, for Skilljar, we're super excited about data and analytics and you know, some of our benchmark studies, which you can find um, on our site under the resources tab, kind of show some of the analysis we've done about what types of you know, courses and student behaviors lead to, you know, completion and, you know, stay tuned for some, you know, other interesting, um, you know, information of, you know, training behaviors leading to, to other uh, outcomes in our, in our user base. Wow. Wow. That, that website is skilljar.com, by the way. Um, that's, that's great to, to hear that. We, we've got so much play left in, uh, in this industry because that's how I, uh, how I feel here from an analyst standpoint covering it is every day is just an explosion of, uh, of just new thought processes and new innovation in, in this field. And, and yeah. I feel that there's, there's a long way to go yet. Yeah. Another way to think about it is, you know, why now? And you, I tend to think about uh, movies. So even five years ago, I know it's hard to imagine, but we all went to movie theaters. And, and it's only now that we have access to all this content, even unique content that you can't get at the movies at home, on demand, like for free in a lot of cases. And that all happened extremely quickly. But five years ago, you know, we were just at the, you know, the top of the first of how people might consume um, movies other than going to the movie theater or getting DVDs in the mail. So I honestly feel like we're at the same place with customer education that because of technology and what's happening with you know, the subscription economy and cloud that we're just that we're just at that place still where we have so many exciting things ahead of us and um, and it's critical for organizations to you know evolve and, and get started. Wow, great. Last question, last question. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm running over time uh, here. I, I, you've, you've probably seen dozens, maybe even 100 organizations uh, adopt customer learning technology for the first time. You know, based on all that experience, you know, what, what advice would you, would you share here for organizations just getting started in customer learning? Yeah, so I have two. The first is start small, you know, drive impact. We sometimes use the crawl, walk, run analogy. Um, don't worry about perfection or building out a program with, you know, 50 courses that absolutely looks perfect. Uh, you know, get buy-in and adoption with, you know, your first customers with your early wins. You know, get a course together, chop up a webinar, add some assessments. Um, easy metrics to look at are just engagement, hours spent, you know, course registrations. Take that agile approach and, you know, just get started. And I think the results almost universally will be, um, will astound, astound you. And the second is, you know, this might run a little bit counter to that first point, but, you know, but do build a solid foundation on, on the data side and, and um, you know, choose technologies and programs that can at least grow for the next two to three years without major rework. Um, we unfortunately find a lot of organizations that have gone, you know, extremely jury-rigged or, you know, free um, uh, systems for the first, you know, six months or 12 months and, you know, now they're in a complete mess and, you know, or either unable to prove the ROI of their program because they don't, they're not even sure who's signing up and how that relates to their customer base or the technology is so limited that it's a complete sort of rip out. So not to say that you need the catalog that needs to grow with you for 10 years, but, you know, put a little bit of thought into 
um, you know, the systems you choose in the beginning that will kind of demonstrate what you need to for at least, I'd say, the two to three year horizon. Wow. There you have it, folks. Uh, expert advice from Sandy Lynn, CEO and co-founder of Skilljar. Sandy, thanks so much for uh, stopping by today and, and sharing your wisdom. It was a great conversation and really learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you, John. All right, folks, uh, hope you keep following along on future editions of the Talented Learning Show, and you can find more resources at talentedlearning.com. Thank you.